Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the City Baptist Church podcast. This week's message is from our current teaching series, The Called, God at Work Through His People. In this series, we will follow the lives of Elijah and Elisha, ordinary men who were called to stand for the one true God in a pagan and godless society. We would love to have you join us for a service in person. You can find all the information you need on our website at citybaptist.church. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to be uh, continuing our series. We've got this week and next week um, is our final week in the series called, uh, called the Called, and, uh, and that'll be our final message, and we'll move into a new Bible study series. I've got three things right now that I'm in the air about wh- which direction to go with, and so pray for me over the next couple weeks that the Lord will just give me that clear focus, and, and uh, we'll be into a new series. I'm, I'm planning on doing a new book study um, headed into uh, beginning, I guess that'll be almost the first week of April. We'll get that started, but uh, I've enjoyed this series, and today we're going to continue on talking about Elisha, um, but before we talk about Elisha, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about somebody else. So let's see here. There we go. That's who I want to talk about for a minute. So I want to talk about MacGyver for a minute. So how many of you know MacGyver? Anyone? Okay. Wow. Less than I thought would know about MacGyver. Now MacGyver uh, is an interesting fellow. He's not real, just so you know, and that is not a real scud missile or whatever he's got uh, that he's holding there. But that right there is sort of an illustration of, of the kind of guy that he was. Now, the show MacGyver, he's not a real person, by the way. The show MacGyver was a television series that went from 1985 to 1992. And so right in my formative young childhood years, uh, I remember watching occasional episodes of it. Uh, it was filmed in Vancouver, by the way, interestingly enough. It started out in LA and then they filmed most of it in Vancouver. So if you go back and watch some of the old episodes, it's kind of cool to see what Vancouver was like in 1990 and uh, so long ago, right? Yeah, so long ago in the 90s. Um, But it's based on this guy who, uh, for varying different reasons, ended up um, working for the government at Finally in the series, he ended up working for the government a little bit. And, but what MacGyver was really all about was that he would always find himself in impossible situations. And that impossible situation would lead to him coming up with a solution out of just regular, ordinary objects, everyday things. And he would use those objects to you know, save the world, of course. Every episode, he's saving the world uh, from some terrible thing that's going on. And so, for example, uh, one of the episodes, he used a blood pressure pump and an alarm clock to make a lie detector. I don't, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how alarm clock became a lie detector, but he did. And this was kind of what the show. One episode, he had a, a soccer ball, uh, some kerosene, newspaper, cotton, and he made a hot air balloon <laughs> to, again, save the world. Uh, one of my favorites is that he took a muffler, a gear shift knob, seat cushion stuffing, a cigarette lighter, and he created a bazooka out of those things while in a high-speed chase. Uh, he created these things and he, and he fired them and saved everyone, you know. And uh, those are the kind of things that we do. He always had duct tape around him, Swiss Army watch, or not watch, but Swiss Army knife, you know, and bubble gum and anything that he could use, he would create bombs and all sorts of things and, uh, to rescue and save people. And so that's what MacGyver was all about. And as I watched this show as a kid, I used to think to myself, I could do that, you know. And so I'd be scurrying the house for bubble gum and duct tape and whatever else I could find and, you know, try to make different things. And, and, uh, but the more that I've lived life and the older that I get, the more I've realized how much better it is just to have the right tool to accomplish the job, you know? Uh, <laughs> there, there certainly have been times where I've had to MacGyver a situation, and that's kind of become a, a, a phrase that we use. And, and I've often MacGyvered things, and some of you experienced my MacGyvering before. Um, but I certainly won't tell you where that happened, just so you know. Some of them are in this very building. I'm, j- I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All the electrical. No, no, I'm just joking. 
Held together with bubble gum. Uh, <laughs> but like I said, the thing that's important is that I have realized anyway is that you got to have the right tool for the job. You got to have the right thing. They are essential for success, whether it's having a proper torque wrench on an engine rebuild or whether it's having uh, a, uh, uh, the nail gun for putting up trim instead of a uh, screw gun for putting up trim or whether it's having the right software to design or do a website or whatever it may be. Having the right tools are essential to doing a proper job and doing the job correctly. Sure, you might be able to do it without the proper tools, but it's not going to last. It's not going to be done in the proper way that will span and, and last the test of time. It should be done correctly. I've learned that from uh, older people in my life have taught me that, where I've tried to cut corners, you know, or try to MacGyver something. They say, no, we're going to do it right, or we're not going to do it at all. I've had that said to me multiple times, actually. And so I've learned that in life, that we're going to do things right and have the right tools and have everything together. Well, in our lesson today, our story today in the life of Elisha, it's a short story. It's, it's something that you've probably heard before, I would say. Um, but it's a, it's a short one, but it has an important lesson. And today's message is a little bit different. I'm just going to tell you right now, because we're going to make it a bit of an object lesson. Is that okay? We're going to have a little bit of object lesson. We've got the kids with us today. And so we're going to simplify it a bit and, and use an object lesson from this story and see the value of having the proper tools to accomplish God's work both in our lives personally, but also within the church as well. Specifically, though, we're going to talk about one tool, one thing that is so important in the life of believers if we're truly going to experience God's perfect and full will for our lives. So we're going to begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm going to re begin reading in verse number 1. It says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, uh, unto Jordan, and uh, let us go thee unto Jordan and take thence every man a beam and let us make us a place uh, there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. So the situation that we're introduced here to is that we're reintroduced to a group of people called the sons of the prophets. Sounds pretty awesome, right? They got leather jackets, says it across the back, sons of the prophets. They, not really. Come on, help me out today, okay? Uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they're, they're this group of guys, these, these men that we know about who are called the sons of the prophets. They're only mentioned in 12 chapters in between 1 Kings and 2 Kings. There's only about 12 chapters where these guys are talked about. And um, they were a group of young men who were outside of the tribe of Levi. Remember, God had established some things. But they were men who were outside of the tribe of Levi uh, who had given their lives to serve the Lord. Uh, they're only mentioned, uh, like I said, in First and Second Kings. Uh, there is one reference, possibly in the New Testament, but the majority of it's in First and Second Kings. And what we understand them to be is, is a community of prophets. Some people would call it a guild, if that maybe uh, helps you understand it a little bit more. But a community of prophets who place themselves under the leadership of first Elijah. And then, of course, when Elisha took over, then Elisha became the, the main leader. Uh, kind of today, you'd look at it like a seminary or kind of a Bible school is what it was. It was a training center for young people who uh, wanted to uh, follow the Lord. And so under Elisha's leadership, what we see here in these verses is that the group of students had grown and the place that they were living, the dormitory, if you want to call it that, had become too small. Notice how it says the place that we dwell has become too straight for us. Now, the word straight there, you don't think like, okay, it's straight. That's not a bad thing. Uh, the word straight there means narrow or tight. 
So they're saying, listen, it's too tight. I don't want to sit next to this guy anymore. I don't want to sleep. He snores. He's too loud. You know, I'm trying to study for my lesson. And, and these guys stink. And all of, you know, it was just too much. There's too many guys. We, if we want to grow, we want to expand, we're going to have to do something about it. And so the solution they came up with was to move locations and to build new living quarters for the students. Obviously, I'm sure they would build a little bit more for some expansion. So they came to Elisha, and they didn't necessarily ask for his permission. They just asked for his blessing. This is something that we want to do. And so what we see here is these students building their own school. I thought that was kind of cool, don't you? I mean, today, that's definitely something that would not be, uh, uh, you would not hear about in the news, where students are building a school for them to learn. They care so much about learning, you know, that they're going to put their hands to it and build their own school. Certainly not. Uh, today, of course, everything has to be given to the student or they rebel, right? That's kind of today's mentality. Uh, or maybe their parents will just pay a whole bunch of money to get them into whatever school they want to get into. I don't know. Somet I've heard that happen sometimes. I don't know. And uh, students want things for free, you know, and they want everything provided. Everything's got to be perfect. But these guys were like, you know what? It's not good what we're doing here. We want to grow and expand. So we're going to build ourselves a new place. We're going to build ourselves a place to live. And so Elisha, we see here, encouraged them in it. Look at verse number three. And one said to Elisha, he said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. He says, would you just come with us? And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. Now, to me, this is kind of a refreshing verse. It gives us a bit of insight into the relationship between Elisha and these students. You know, it tells us they liked them, right? I mean, how often do the students want to hang out with their professors outside of class? Again, not very often, right? But they say, hey, we want you to come with us. We want you to come to the place where we're going to build this, uh, build this new dormitory and whatever it may be. And so when they got there to that spot, they, uh, uh, they began to, it says that they began to cut down wood. They began to cut down trees in preparation to build their new place of residence. So now this is, though, where we get to our main object lesson this morning in verse number five. But as one of, uh, one, as one, so one of these guys was felling a beam, he was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, he's talking to Elisha, for it was borrowed. He says, I, I, was, I borrowed this axe and now the axe head just fell into the Jordan River which, by the way, was not known for its clarity, okay? It's a muddy ditch, almost, of a, of, a, of a river. It's very small, but it's just, you can't really see anything. And verse 6, and the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. Right here, I saw it go right in here. I know it. This is where it was. It went right in there. And he cut a stick, and he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Interesting. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. What an interesting story here in the Word of God. I love this. This is, this, is a, this is one of my favorite stories. This is great. So what's going on here is they're cutting trees. This young man, of course, is, is there, and they're cutting down uh, what they needed to build their new, uh, their new place of residence. And, and I don't know about you, but have you ever cut down a tree before with an axe? Today, probably not very many people have. Now, I have cut down trees before with an axe, and I've cut down trees with a chainsaw. Guess what? They're both very difficult. <laughs> Even the chainsaw is very difficult because I didn't know what I was doing, by the way. So it became dangerous and difficult all at the same time. But it's hard. It's hard to cut a tree down. And imagine these guys all coming here, these theology students, <laughs> maybe not very trained in this. They might have been. But coming in and beginning to cut down enough trees, not just to have a fire, but to build an entire place to live in. And so they, these guys would have been in for some hard labor. You know, we read this in a few verses and we're like, oh, it's no big deal. But I mean, this was a big, this was a big deal to cut down enough trees 
to, uh, to square them off, what they would have had to do is square them off in order to build with them, collect the other materials necessary to put the whole project together. It was not a simple task. And the point that I want us to get is that without the proper tools, it was going to be impossible, impossible for them to do this. That is why this young man is so dismayed. When he says, ah, you know, alas, as he cried, I don't know if it was like a boo-hoo or just like, oh man, you know, when he lost it, but he cries out and he's so upset because the ax head that he had borrowed, by the way, had flown into the water. Now here's the principle that we're going to look at today, the object lesson from this passage. These men, of course, were willing to work, but without a very simple piece of hardware called an ax head, nothing was going to get done. Without it, they could do nothing. They could accomplish nothing at all. They could hit the trees all day, all long day, all long day, all day long with the stick, you know, with the ax handle. They could hit it all they wanted, but they weren't going to accomplish anything unless they had this one small item. Isn't it amazing how often it's one small item that makes a job possible or impossible? Now, you guys know, I was reflecting with some the other day. It's been a year and a half since I sold my 1975 Plymouth Valiant, and I miss that car very often. And I was reflecting with somebody. I was like, I can't believe it's been gone that long, you know. And, and uh, I don't know how many times uh, I worked on that thing, and I had to come to a stop because there was one thing I didn't have. First of all, it was from 1975, so I couldn't just go to the store and pick it up. I had to special order it from eBay and find some guy who had pulled it out of from a car or a junker, you know, and, and try to find all these things. And so many, so many times I would come to a stopping point because I was waiting on one thing. In fact, it sat in our garage for three weeks one time because I was waiting on one piece that I needed to complete the job. But so often in life, things come to a screeching halt because we're missing one thing. No progress can go forward because of a specific thing. And like I mentioned, in this story here, I see a object lesson for the Christian. And what I want us to see is that while these guys, this axe that, that was flown into the water was such a big deal to them, in the same way for us as Christians today, I believe that there is a very key tool in the life of every Christian and if that tool is missing in your life, if it's not a part of, of, of your daily walk with God, the fact is, is that it will limit your usefulness for the Lord and it will limit your effectiveness for the gospel. So what I want to point out, first of all, today in your points is that the axe head represents God's power. So I told you this is going to be an object lesson today, an object lesson today. The axe head for us today is going to represent God's power in the life of the Christian. Because you know what? We are all called to do a job, aren't we? We're to be a part of, of building for the Lord. We're to be a part of, of laboring for Him. And the fact is, is that if we're missing God's power in our lives, we're going to become very ineffective very quickly. In Psalm chapter 127, in verse number one, it says, except the what? Lord build the house, right? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the who? Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Both labor and being a watchman are illustrations of the Christian's responsibility while we're on this earth. Countless times throughout scripture, we are taught that we are to labor for the Lord. We're to work for the Lord. We're to be a watchman. We're to be warning others. We're to be like that person who stood on the wall and looked for enemies. We're to be warning and encouraging one another. And so these are things that we are to do. But I want you to notice where it says, except the Lord is a part of it, it's nothing. Except the Lord is there, it is nothing at all. In Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says, This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Take your Bibles with me and go over to John chapter number 15. Let's go there. John chapter 15, if you've got your Bible or your app there with you. 
But in John chapter 15, I want to show you this passage that probably you've, many of you have heard before, but it, it illustrates this point. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? There we go. Oh, I went too far. Here we go. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse uh, number one. He says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman, the one who takes care of the vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, how are we purged, by the way, just real quickly through the word of God? Okay, through the word of God so that we can bring forth fruit. Now, verse number three. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There's that connection. Number four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. This is talking about being grafted into God, the source of power there. And then verse uh, five, I and the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then look at this, for without me, ye can do nothing. That is talking about the source of the Christian here. God is the power that we've got to have in our lives. We cannot accomplish anything on our own. And the thing is, is for you and I to attempt anything for the Lord without the spirit and the power of God upon us, it becomes an exercise in futility. Now, sure, I understand there are good works that we can do in the flesh, right? Certainly. Uh, I've done many good works in the flesh. That other people say, wow, that was, man, that was great. It was in the flesh, though. I knew in my heart it was not, it was not of the spirit, it was of the flesh. And, uh, th- and, and just like Paul said, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so we do those things by the flesh, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that those things that are, those works that are done in the flesh, all they become, 1 Corinthians tells us, become wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be burned up in the day of reckoning, in the day of judgment when God purifies our works. Many things will be burned up because they were not done in his power and in his strength. They were done in our own strength and in our own power. It's really a sobering thought, I got to tell you, church, for me to think that my preaching, what's happening right now, that if the time that I spend in the word and study and the time that I spend in presenting to you the message that that I've worked in, it's sobering to think that if I labor in the flesh and I present in the flesh, it falls and it has no fruit because it's not of God. Now you say, well, God's word does not return void. And yes, we understand that. We need to sow the seed of the word. We need to put it out there. But I do know that if my heart, if I'm doing something from a heart of pride, if I'm trying to share truth from a, from a, a position of, of pridefulness or from a place that, that maybe I think that, oh, I've got to figure it out. I don't need God with me today. You know, I'm just going to do it on my own. The fact is, is that it's never going to achieve the potential, right, that God would maybe want it to achieve if he was working through me in his spirit. By the way, it's just to all of us, right? It applies to all of us. You're witnessing, you're teaching in a kid class or helping out in a nursery or serving the Lord. And in many of, of the things that we do in the name of Christ, we've got to remember that it takes his power and it takes our dependence upon him to see anything last for eternity. That's what it's all about. We're talking about things that are eternal here. And so the axe head today, I want us to illustrate for us as a object lesson. The axe head uh, represents for us God's power, which brings us to the next section here. How can God's power then be lost in our lives? So we're going to return to the story here real quick. So number two, how God's power can be lost. So we return to his, uh, this young man. I, I want to look at verse number five again. It says, as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, 
for it was borrowed. So how did the axe head fall off of the axe? Maximus, can you go get that for me? You know where it's at. How is it that this axe head, this guy's out here cutting trees, how is it that the axe head flew off and flew off so far, by the way, that it went into the, into the water? If you think about it, it went all the way into the Jordan River. All right, bring that up here, buddy. Careful. <laughs> all right, there we go. So I don't want to make anybody nervous. I have a protective cover on it, just so you know, so everyone's safe today. Um, but uh, this is my new axe I bought for myself, actually, and it just happens I needed a new axe today, so uh, isn't that great? Uh, but this is an axe. Now, most of you guys understand how an axe works, I would assume. It is used for chopping, right? Uh, trees and splitting firewood and all of that kind of stuff, you know? Um, but an axe is always typically attached to a handle, right? Now, this is a nice high visibility, uh, you know, fiberglass or whatever it may be handle. And uh, this is a nice one, but typically it's attached to a wooden handle. And uh, I just, the reason I bought this particular axe, just so you know, is because my wooden axe is, is done pretty much. And the head is about to fly off. And I'll tell you why. Uh, part of it is people not knowing how to use an axe. And so they bust up the handle, you know. Um, but the other thing is that oftentimes over, over the years, and I've experienced this personally, the way that a handle is attached to an axe, there's a hole you can see right here. And the handle, the wooden handle is typically put in. And the wooden handle typically has a split down the middle of it. And so what they do is, they, is it, that is for the purpose of being able to fit it and connect it to the axe head. And then though, once it's in, they'll take a, uh, a, a, um, like a small piece of wood, like a little wedge is what it's called, and you hammer that wedge down into it and it expands the wood and then allows the axe handle to, or the axe head to stay on the handle. Does that make sense? So it expands the wood in there. And then, it, uh, and then it stays. But the problem is, is over time, over use, that wedge becomes loose. It'll maybe begin to come out a little bit. Um, there's been times where I've had to fix it with a screw. <laughs> I've actually put a screw in there to hold it in, or you hammer it back in, or you put a new wedge, or you get a new handle. Because the axe, I mean, this thing's not going anywhere, right? The head's not going anywhere. You can use this forever. You can sharpen it, all those kind of things. But the handles get beat up. And so that's often how it's attached, is there's, a, there's that wedge, and it's jammed down in there. But as you're using it, if you're not careful, what happens, and I got to tell you, unfortunately, by experience, <laughs> I've done this where I've been chopping wood or something. And as I, as I pull that back, that the head has flown off of the axe before. When I'm, anybody else have that happen to them? That's a very disconcerting moment, I just got to say, when it's like heavy and then nothing smack, you know, and you, just, <laughs> and you just use the handle and you're like, where did it go, right? And you duck and, and uh, hope no one is behind you. And uh, so we're assuming that's what happened. You know, if he's chopping a tree on the side, he's probably chopping it like this, you know, and, and he's just having a good old time and he's chopping away and eventually that handle just flew off. So what happened to it? What happened to it? That's the question. That's what I want to ask. What happened? Why was it that all of a sudden this axe head flew off of this guy's head? Was he lazy for some reason? Was he uh, mistreating it maybe? Was he, I, I don't know. Was he, uh, uh, did he just not care that it was borrowed? And that's another whole thought there, you know, it was borrowed. What was the deal? Here's what I think it comes down to. Here's what I think it came down to this. I believe that he simply neglected caring for it. I think he simply just neglected checking on it. You got to imagine this young guy maybe was not accustomed to chopping down trees. And then when the one guy in the dorm is like, hey, let's go chop down a bunch of trees and build ourselves a dorm. And he's like, yeah, I'm 18. I'm ready. I can do anything, you know. And, and he got down there. He's like, wait a minute. I don't even have an axe, <laughs> you know. 
And they began to find people, and somebody was willing to lend it to him. I'm sure they explained, this is an axe. This is sharp. <laughs> do not hit this on your knee. You know, like, uh, this is what you do, and be careful with it. I'm sure when he started, you know, I, like, if you've ever approached cutting down a tree on your own before, you need a little bit of instruction. There's some ways to do it, some things to think about, where it's going to fall when you accomplish it, you know, and you have to think about all of those things. I'm sure he got some instruction. And I'm sure they told him what to look out for and what to pay attention to. Uh, and I'm sure that first one, if you've ever cut down a tree before, I encourage all of you to cut. Maybe make sure it's legal, first of all, right? Don't cut down anything illegally. That's how I cut down my first tree, and I got in trouble. So uh, 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 anyway, um, uh, it's just like, it's a cool feeling. I can just imagine what it was like for this guy. You know, he's all pumped, like, we're going to build our own dorm room dude right and he uh you know he grabs it and uh, I should have brought a tree in today but uh you know and he starts cutting it you know in his first one and then that satisfying feeling of that final blow and then timber I don't know if they yelled that you know why do we yell timber anyway and that tree fell over and he was just like this is the greatest thing ever you know he's hurting he's sore and they go and they trim off all the they would trim off all the branches you know and then they'd maybe start to level it out or maybe another group of guys was doing the the, the leveling and getting it all all split away and he goes to a second tree and before he had to learn somebody had to teach him but now it's his second tree right He's like, I got this. This is my second tree, you know? And, he, and he's cutting away and he cuts his second tree and his third tree. And now it's a couple of days in and he's on his like 10th tree. And he's like, man, I got this thing figured out. I got this thing figured out. I'm just, I'm just chopping away and trees are falling and all of this kind of stuff is going. It's not intimidating anymore. He's like a forestry worker, you know? And he's Paul Bunyan and he's out there and he's doing all of this stuff and he's super confident. And then the ax head flies off his ax. Okay, I'm trying to make a point here. He, uh, he got confident and he neglected, he neglected taking care of the only thing that was making his life, <laughs> making his job possible, which was the tool that he had. Now listen, that's often the way that it goes in the Christian life, to be honest with you. Let me, let me explain. Oftentimes when we get saved and we get into maybe serving the Lord in certain ways, you remember the first time that you taught in the class downstairs, Brandon? Remember that? He didn't sleep for days. <laughs> he prepared. I mean, he, he was working so hard. I remember we talked about it, you know? I remember the first time uh, he did an opener. I'm just going to pick on you because he did an opener. He's like, man, I stayed awake or, you know, all week. I've been thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And it consumed you, you know? And, uh, and he prepared and he got ready and he, he did all of these things. And, uh, and the first time that you were maybe singing in church publicly, maybe, some of you remember that, you know, you practice, you practice, you practice. I hit all the notes properly, you know, and he got it all and you're right there. And the first time you maybe played, uh, maybe the first time you played an instrument in church, right? You like practice that song over and over and over and over again, you know, and, and you had it down and you were so concerned and you're like, you want to do your very best. Or when you first got saved and you started reading the Bible for the first time, you just, you were so careful with it, right? And you're putting so much time into it and you're like, you're writing down questions for pastor and you're, you're praying and you're, you're all of this and you're focused focused and you pray and you fast and you prepare and you beg God for help you know and then finally you have that first time of serving or that first class or that first nursery that's the most terrifying thing you know the first nursery class and all of these things and you're worried and God blesses you and he gives you his power and his grace and things go well and and uh, but after a while it doesn't seem so intimidating anymore does it right and after a while uh playing an instrument on Sunday it's not that big of a deal singing in front of people it's not that big of a deal Reading our Bibles becomes just sort of checking off a box, right? 
handing out an invitation, going on outreach, it just becomes routine. And we neglect the very thing that gives us strength to what we're doing in serving God, and that is the power of God himself. Simple routine, just doing of the work, is never going to bring the fruit that remains. There must be a dependence upon God. Otherwise, it's like chopping down a tree without an axe head. Absolutely worthless. You know, we mentioned the Apostle Paul earlier in our, uh, in our scripture reading, and I talked a little bit about the challenges that he had, but Paul also had a lot of physical challenges. He had poor eyesight. He had a lot of health things. Think about how he would have felt every morning when he got out of bed with all the scars and the beatings and the things that he had taken. He had, he had issues, but he was still able to do a lot of great things for the Lord. How? He tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Look what he says in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you. I'm sorry, it'll, it'll change here in a second. He says, For I determined uh, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christian, can you change that for me? I'm not sure why it's not. I want you to all see this passage here. There we go. First Corinthians chapter 2. It took a long time to go wherever it went and then went over there. Um, but look at verse number, uh, verse number 3 then. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What Paul is saying here is that though he had many weaknesses, the Lord was used because he had a full dependence upon God throughout his life. And it was all about trusting Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us today. When we recognize our deep need of God's spirit at work in every aspect of our lives, and any of the works that come from our faith, which by the way, faith produces works, any of the good works that come must come with the backing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we rely on him, we open the door to God using us for his glory in the most effective way. But when we neglect caring for our relationship with Christ, when our service for the Lord becomes a routine. And, and think about this. Our service for the Lord sometimes becomes a chore, doesn't it? Think about that for a minute. Serving God, helping young people know about Jesus Christ, uh, sharing the gospel with others, it becomes a chore to us. What does that tell us? We're neglecting the source of the strength that we need for that very thing that we're trying to accomplish. It is possible to quench the spirit of God in our lives and lose his direction and push we cannot, obviously, God is not leaving you. We understand that. But when we neglect to uh, pursue him with our whole hearts, it really does affect him negatively. That axe head was lost because of neglect, I believe. He did not care for it. And when we neglect God's spirit and God's work in our lives, we lose effectiveness. Not that we'll never be effective again, but we, I believe we're not fully experiencing what God wants us to, to accomplish we're not really fully, you know, you understand the difference between seeing something and experiencing something, right? We've talked about that before. And I really believe that when we lose that, that understanding of reliance upon God, that we miss out on some effectiveness. So that brings us to point number three today, how God's power can be regained from this passage. How do we regain the influence in God's power in our life? I'm going to have you guys go ahead and take care of the slides from now on because it's uh, just totally uh, cut off there. How can God's power be regained? Look again at uh, verse number five. Let's put the notes up there. Let's put the point number three for me. If 
Thank you. There we go. How can God's power uh, be regained? And then let's go to the next verse. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 5. And uh, this is a story again. He was felling a beam. He said it was borrowed. And then look at verse 6. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. But he put out his hand, or and he put out his hand and took it. All right. Letter A in our notes. Here's what we got to do to regain God's power. First of all, admit that you lost it. Admit that you lost it. Admit that you lost it. Do you think that this guy would have just kept on swinging that stick <laughs> and hoping that no one would notice? <laughs> but listen, that is what a lot of us do in the Christian life. We just keep up appearances. We just uh, keep doing my thing. We just keep, you know, posting that Christian thing. <laughs> We just keep, uh, uh, we, we just keep um, doing that little thing, showing up to church, and maybe no one will notice. And maybe no one will notice, by the way. But God does notice. And God does understand. And so if we're going to get ourselves to the place where we desire God to work through us, is to simply confess that the power is gone. You can't just work harder, longer, have more zeal, have better ideas, or whatever it may be. It won't matter where it counts in souls for eternity. But if we cry out like this guy and say, listen, master, I've, I've lost it, we'll find that God is waiting for the call. That's what I love about Elisha. He came immediately to him. And by the way, if you cry out to God and say, God, I'm just, I've neglected your spirit's work in my life. I haven't been full of the spirit. I know that I'm saved and I know all of those things, but I just haven't allowed you to guide me. And Lord, you haven't, your spirit hasn't been directing me and I haven't been focused and I've just been serving you out of just duty. And it's just been just this thing I do. Listen, if you cry, say, God, this is where I'm at. Lord, would you please bring it back to me? I promise you, he'll hear you and he'll come back to you. So you got to admit that you lost it. But secondly, you can't be content without it. Don't be content without it. Again, what if he had come back the next day and without the axe head and just started swinging again. Everyone would have thought he was strange, right? Like, yo, bro, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's missing his axe head and he's missing something in his head, you know? Uh, he's out there and he's, he's doing this. Why, why? Why would you do this? Because there's no results, right? There, it would make no effect at all, but that's a challenge that faces us. Are you content today to go week after week after week of going through the motions of Christianity? Are you content with just, con just doing the same thing? Are you, uh, uh, are you content with the status quo? That is Latin for more of the same, <laughs> more of the same. You know, they say the, the, the true sign of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But often that's how it is in Christianity. We keep just living this way and we do, we do these things. You understand what I'm saying? You're believers here. We do these things in our own strength and then we become content though. And I believe it's because we just become comfortable. We found maybe a plateau of spirituality that we're comfortable with, right? And we're like, I'm okay with this. Life seems okay. You know, you know I got it. You know, I'm not, I'm not in any horrible sin over here. You know, uh, maybe not, you know, involved maybe, or there's some things, but I, you know, I feel okay. I'm okay where I'm at. And so we become comfortable with that, comfortable with our achievements, comfortable in our friendships, comfortable in our devotional life. Why do any more? Why reach out more? Man, the church, wow, it's a good size, right? This is great. We got a full, full room today. You know, if we need to grow anymore, some people can sit on the front seat, maybe for once, you know? So we got room, you know, and, and it's comfortable, right? We all like each other. We're friends. It's great. Man, the Lord's good. And why, but why, why try to do something else, right? 
Why, why try to start another church or why try to find a bigger place? Everything's, everything's fine. What's going on here is we're comfortable there. Listen, there's got to be a longing in our spirits for God to work through us. There's got to be a hunger in our hearts for God to use us, not for our glory, but for his glory. In uh, Psalm 63, verse number one, it says, O God, this is David, he says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where, there no, uh, where no water is. Why? To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Look what he's talking about there. He's talking about this burden. I have this passion. I have this hunger. I have this desire. Not for me, he says, Lord, but because I want to see his power and his glory. And listen, we cannot be content without the power of God in our lives. We cannot be content as a church and individually. We've got to be like David and say, Lord, would you use me in some way? God, would you, would you do something with my life? And have that passion. Don't be content without it. But thirdly here, you need to realize that it was borrowed power. <laughs> realize that it's borrowed power. I, I mentioned Zechariah 4 verse 6 again. Uh, and I've got it here again where the Lord, the word of the Lord came unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Yes, we do labor for the Lord. Yes, we give of our time and our money and energy from a heart of love. But the fact is, is that without the axe head of his power, we still could have nothing of eternal value. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 5. He said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our faith is in the power of God. And it's not our power, it's borrowed. <laughs> it's borrowed. And guess what? If you lose that, you should be upset about it. <laughs> it's borrowed power. And yes, there's some great lessons in there about taking care of other people's tools. I'll just let you know, okay? But we'll <laughs> we won't stay with that one. I didn't feel that we needed to spend a lot of time on that today realize if we're trying to regain we're trying to get that, fa uh, that uh, passion and focus back in our lives again realize it was borrowed and then number uh, 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 letter d return to where you lost it i think this is a great thought return to where you lost it elisha's first concern right was to go where the axe head was lost he's like where, where did it go in <laughs> now i've lost things in water before and have you ever tried to point out where it was? Like, I think it was here, you know? Uh, and, and he said that, he's like, I think it was right here. He knew. He had watched it, and he's like, oh, man. Whoa, you know? Watched it go in. He says, I think this is, this is where it is. And he took them there. It reminds me of the message in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 5. Look at verse number, uh, Revelation 2, verse 5. You can write that down in your notes. He said this. It's again, God speaking to these churches here in those, in those uh, uh, chapter 2 and chapter number 3. He encouraged the church there in Ephesus to remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Remember where you came from. Remember where you first fell away and repent and do the first works. Get back to those things that you were doing, first of all, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What a great thought. When you've lost the power, get back to those first works. Get back to those first things. And that's what he's saying here to us today. The devil, you guys understand, will apply his own pressure in the situation, right? This isn't a matter of us just being distant from the Lord. The devil's also at work as well in our lives. And so he comes along and he tries to convince you and he says, you can't go back. I've, I mean, the, the, uh, the devil has worked in my life in this way. He says, you know, you can't. And I'm like, I need to get back to this. I need to get back. You can't go. What are you talking about, devil? <laughs> And he'll say things like in your life, in your mind, and, and uh, he'll say it's been too long ago. 
How can I go back to those things? Wait a minute. If you'll just let the Spirit of God search your heart, He will reveal to you where you first started to fade away. Psalm 139, verse 23. David again said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then look at this. Lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. When you find yourself in a position that you're away from God's power and you find yourself in a position where his spirit is not at work in your life and you've quenched him, listen, you need to pray and say, God, show me, show me, show me. And he'll lead you where you need to go. And he'll show you. I can't tell you how many times I've literally been praying on my knees and saying, God, show me if there be any wicked way in me. And I pray this verse. God, show me and he will show me. And it's like, duh. <laughs> well, what was I praying for? That's what he did. He showed me in my spirit. In his spirit, he spoke to me. He's like, well, this is something. And you're like, oh. And God's used that then to get me back to where I need to be and lead me back to where I need to, uh, I need to be uh, following him. So return to where you lost it. And then letter E, trust God to return his power. Trust God to return his power. The fact is this, the axe head was buried somewhere in the muck of the river, <laughs> right? We know that. They could spend days swimming and diving and waiting and looking for this thing. But if they're ever gonna find it, this prophet here, this young prophet needed a miracle and God provided the miracle. Very small, I will say, in comparison to Elijah calling down fire from heaven, wouldn't you say? <laughs> and I don't know if Elisha was like, do I want to use up one of my 28 miracles or not, you know? I'm just joking. <laughs> he asked for double. Yeah, I'm sure he'd done the math. Do I want to use one of these? But the Bible tells us he took that stick and he broke it and he threw the stick in. And as that stick floated there, that, uh, that iron, that uh, axe head rose to the surface, rose to the surface. You know, here's the thing. I do believe that God wants to work in our lives. You know that? I really do believe that. And I know that God wants to work through this local church. He has been with us every step of the way. And every ministry we've started and every endeavor uh, that we've attempted to do for the Lord, God has revealed himself. He's been there. But we need him to continue to show himself strong on our behalf. Because guess what? The need is still great in our community. The need is still great in our neighborhood. And we need the miracle of God's power to work through us. We need that. There is no awesome building or song service or message that's going to change this community without the power of God. And we need that as a church family. And we need to ask God for his power to be on our church. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9, one of the most important verses, I believe, in that whole book, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Those that are mature towards God, those that are growing towards him, those that are leaning towards him. It doesn't mean you're perfect, by the way. But those that are seeking after God, he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. How many of you by testimony would say today, God has shown himself strong on my behalf? And you just put your hand up and say, I know that. Man, so many of us have experienced that. God has shown himself strong and he wants to continue to show himself strong on your behalf as we trust in him. This promise here was given to uh, Asa, and he was one of the best kings in Judah at the time. But near the end of his life, a guy who had trusted God for so many years began to trust in his own strength. So look back at the verse here. He says, I'm going to show myself strong, but then look at the last part. He says, herein though, thou hast done foolishly. He's speaking to the king here. He says, you've done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. By the way, as a king, that's like the worst thing. <laughs> you know, here I'm a war. Oh man, you know, it's the worst thing. What's happening here? 
He had trusted in his own strength. He had trusted in strength, if you look at it, in strength that he could buy from other nations. And so then God rebuked him here and he reminded him how foolish that was because God said, I've already shown myself strong to you. So why would you go somewhere else for strength? And that's still the call to us today. God has shown himself strong in your life. Why are you seeking something else right now for strength? If God has shown himself strong to you in the past, why are you right now focused on your finances as your strength? If God has shown himself strong to you in the past, why are you focused on and and allowing a relationship or someone else to be the strength for you? Listen, if God is strong, he's strong, right? (laughs) And if he's strong before, he's strong now. And he's looking for those who are trusting in him, whose hearts are pure and perfect towards him. And then he can show himself strong to you. But you've got to look to him and you've got to ask for that miracle of his power. Verse number six, the iron did swim i don't know if it was like woo, you know <laughs> but the iron did swim against the laws of physics <laughs> and nature the god who wrote the rules overruled them for a little while and this iron did swim and what we see here is a simple object lesson about the power of god in the life of the believer what a great thought i love these little object lessons sometimes you see you say why is this even in the bible why is, you know, why is this little passage here? Well, I think this is a lesson that God has for us today because often we lose the things that we need to accomplish the work of God. And I believe if we're gonna boil it all down into one thing, it's the power of God in your life. It is the spirit of God at work in you. So let me ask you this morning, are you experiencing the power of God in your life right now? Or does it feel like you're trying to cut down a tree without an ax head? Are you right now, do you feel you're struggling? Right now, do you feel like You know, I'm trying to just do this thing and you realize that it's in your own strength. In your own strength, we can never accomplish anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of him. It's all because of him. From a distance, do maybe you right now seem like things are okay from a distance? Does it seem like things in your life are, man, they got it all together? They're serving, they're loving God, but you're just going through the motions at this point? You're missing that source of power in your life. Can I ask you this morning, would you please return to God's power in your life this morning? We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.